Welcome to Ministry Strong with Lisa Whittle, where ministry matters so much that a co-host and I have conversations to help strengthen and encourage ministry leaders to serve Jesus with integrity for the long haul. And we don't shy away from the tough issues about culture and the church. Okay, Sky, can we talk about integrity for a few minutes? Sure. <laughs> you sound like, sure. <laughs> that's always that's kind of a loaded question, I know. Talking with Sky Jatani, by the way, author of 11 books, speaker, former pastor, co-host of the Holy Post podcast, his latest book, What If Jesus Was Serious About the Church? I'm curious, first of all, Sky, what does a former pastor have to say about being a pastor? <laughs> Well, I can empathize with those who are in the pastorate. It's, it is a very challenging vocation. I think since I've left, it's gotten even more challenging, given circumstances in our culture and dynamics with the church and the pandemic. Um, but I think it's also, leaving the pastorate made me a better pastor. Mm. I know that sounds really weird. Um, but what I realized was an enormous amount of my energy while I was on staff at the church was really not spent pastoring as yep. that term really has come to be known. Like it, it wasn't shepherding people and their souls in communion with God. It was managing and overseeing a 501c3 nonprofit institution. Mm. That's not pastoring. Yeah. And so by leaving that role, I was actually able to engage better relationally with people around me in the care of their souls and in guiding them towards deeper communion with Christ. So there's something I think a little bit broken about the way a lot of our churches are structured and the way ministry vocations are structured in a way that it's harmful to the soul of the leaders, it's harmful to their families and households. Sometimes I think it's harmful to the church. And I'm not prescribing the perfect model or right solution to it, but I do think we need to do a deep dive and investigate what is broken in our different settings and think about different ways that these callings can be engaged that's sustainable, healthy, and brings good fruit, both for the leader and those they're following. You know, it's interesting. I didn't know how you were going to answer this. had no idea. I don't even know you. You don't. We don't know each other at all. But mm -hmm. uh, this really triggered something for me, and I don't think I've ever shared this before. <laughs> I've written about my experience, my husband and I, when we started and closed a church in 13 months. But this is something I've never talked about before, and yet when you just said that, it reminded me of what sort of was the catalyst for why we decided to close our church. And that was, so we, we, we started this church with the intent of really pastoring and shepherding these people well. Like my husband loves people and it was sort of an outflow of what we were doing in our life. And so it made sense. People kept saying, you guys would lead so well together. And, you know, all of these things, you know, he has a gift of communication. It just, right, it made sense on paper. So we start this church, and then we get people that we know and love coming. Great. Check the box. Our neighbor across the street starts coming, who we love, and we normally have all this great communication with, and they start coming to our church. We get busy, like, administrating the church. My husband stops loving what he should be loving doing, which was originally to pour more into people and love people and shepherd people, which is what he went into it for. And the honestly, the catalyst guy of what made us go, are we doing the right thing here? Is this really what we're supposed to do? 
was we hadn't talked to our neighbors across the street mm. for weeks. Okay, now this was unusual because before we started the church, we talked to them all the time. And we found out something about our neighbors across the street that we didn't know. And it was a big something. And we were like, wait, we've set out to pastor this church. (laughs) We are, you know, having people come, having our neighbor come. And we know less about the people that we set out to love and serve now than ever before. What's wrong here? Yeah, that's exactly it. Your experience is exactly what I experienced. It's what many others have experienced. When I left my pastoral position, uh, my kids were still in elementary school, some of them, and our lives changed because suddenly my evenings were more open. We got to know our neighbors. We got involved in the public schools. We got involved in in the kids' uh, activities and made a network of friends outside the church. We still had meaningful connections with our friends in the church, and, and I still led and cared for people in different ways, but so much of my life was occupied with running that institution and every night being involved in meetings and committees and structures. And and I there's a place for that. I don't want to discredit people who are giving their time and energy to it, but we need to ask ourselves, is this what it's intended to be? There was a book written probably 10 years ago, maybe 10 years ago now, um, by Colin Marshall and Tony Payne called The Trellis and the Vine. Have you ever heard mm. of that? No, but that sounds cool. Yeah, it's the central metaphor is, I think, super helpful and worth the price of admission for the book. The argument is simply that any church has two components. There is the vine, which is the organic, living, growing, fruit-bearing part of the church, meaning the people, like the community, the, the men and women and children who belong to Christ and united with Him and one another. And then there's the trellis, which is the structure. It's the institution, the budgets, the buildings, the staff, you know, all the committees. That's trellis. The vine needs trellis in order to grow healthy and strong. The problem that happens is we tend to overbuild the trellis. And invariably, we come to believe the lie that the vine exists to support the trellis. And we try to recruit people into more committees and more activities and upkeep of the building and, you know, giving more money to sustain all of this, when in fact the trellis, as good and and necessary as it is, only exists to support the vine. Mm -hmm. And I think your experience, my experience is we were deeply committed to the trellis. And after a while, we started realizing, I don't even know this vine anymore. I don't know these people. I can't care for I'm just running and keeping the structures together. So... Um, we need structure, we need the vine, but we need we only need as much structure as is minimally necessary for the health of the vine. Mm. And that's where I think we get kind of out of whack because in our culture, we tend to celebrate churches that have massive trellis. And the bigger your trellis, the more money and programs and buildings and budgets you have, the more successful you are as a church, completely ignoring whether the fruit on the vine is healthy or rotten. So that, that's where I don't prescribe particular models of church, but in any given community or situation, I'm looking for leaders who are wisely discerning what's the minimum amount of trellis we need here to grow a healthy vine. And in certain communities, that's going to require more trellis and others less. But the, the evidence of a healthy church is the fruit. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control, both among the people, but especially among its leaders. If that's not there among its leaders, something is significantly toxic and broken. 
Hmm. Really important, really, really important. And shout out to the pastors and the leaders who are asking these questions, who are who are praying through things like this, because these aren't easy things to re- work through. I mean, they're tough. They they take a lot of care and you know, not just sort of punching a clock and accepting things as they are. And this is just the way it's always going to be. So I really appreciate this whole moment of conversation. Uh, you know, this, this, this book you have, what if Jesus was serious about the church? It was interesting to me because, okay, so full disclosure, I told you this, don't know you. We don't know each other. <laughs> I mean, it, I, so I pick up your book, right? And I know you've written a series of books. And so I pick up this book and I'm reading through it and I'm looking through it and I'm like, this is a cross between a comic book and a doodles in a sermon, but it's really deep. Like it goes there. And so I'm like, is this his way of disarming us so that he can talk about really tough topics? Um, and if so, it's brilliant. Um, but I love the, I, I can tell you're a thinker and I can tell that you don't settle for boring, which really appeals to me. But so many things that you talk about in the book are very important to me. And one of them is, is that you're, you're talking about if Jesus was serious about the church, then we have to resist the temptations of technology. And I thought about explaining what I want to make the tie here, but then I thought, I'm just going to let this lie and ask you a question. Is there a tie, in your opinion, between technology and integrity in ministry? Hmm. That's a really interesting question. Um, is there a tie between technology and integrity in ministry? Um, there can be. I would okay. say, I mean, technology, most technology is designed to make life and its tasks easier. That also means it can be a lot easier to um, abuse or misuse those technologies to to do nefarious things as well. So, and we know stories of significant ministry leaders who have gotten in trouble via technology. Now, does the technology in and of itself predispose somebody to uh, be duplicitous and sinful? Not necessarily. We we come hardwired that way, right? But it it can open up channels and opportunities to do that and hide it in a way that previous generations may not have had to deal with because they didn't have the technology. Um, the, the thing that worries me most is technology, and I'm not sure if I argue this in this book or a different one, I think that's real draw is it gives, a, it's a very much like Adam and Eve in the garden with the forbidden fruit, right? Eat of the fruit and you will be like God, the serpent tempts them with. And yeah. a lot of technology tempts us the exact same way. It gives us the illusion of divinity, of having omnipotence. I can do anything. Of omniscience, I can know anything. Of omnipresence, I can be anywhere with mm. technology. And it's it's such an appealing draw. And what Christ calls us to, especially those who are in leadership and shepherding of his people, is to be to embrace our limitations, to be fully present where we are with the people we are present with, to admit we don't have total control and power, surrendering that and admitting it through prayer and confession. I mean, that's what church is supposed to be. That's what leadership in the church is supposed to be. So the, the, the great temptation of technology is, I don't need God. 
I don't need to be humble. I don't need to be limited by my body, by my mind, by my own capacities and gifts. Technology can give me all the power and abilities I could ever desire. And that is a really dangerous road to walk. So in that regard, I would say, yes, it does lead to greater temptation and breach of integrity. Um, but that's why the church needs to be talking about these things. Yeah, We're not in this alone. Like we have brothers and sisters who are all facing these things together. And what it means to be a follower of Jesus in the 21st century means figuring out the proper use of these technologies. That's a huge area of discipleship for the church. Some are doing that well. In my experience, an awful lot are completely ignoring it, and they're just simply going, oh, this is really cool, let's do this. And they're, they're not thinking more wisely about it. Being in ministry over the last couple years has been uniquely challenging. Maybe the online church takeover that was necessary during the pandemic has left you weary and discouraged now as a ministry leader. I hear you. In fact, recent research found that getting people in the door on Sunday often doesn't lead people to take the next step. For those reasons, I'm excited to introduce you to the Apollos Project. Apollos apps equip churches with discipleship tools and spiritual habits to strengthen relationships within our community and ultimately with Jesus. Apollos is offering a discount for listeners of Ministry Strong, up to 40% off when you bundle multiple Apollos platforms. Let's explore the future of the church together. Learn more at apollos.app slash ministry strong. That's A-P-O-L-L-O-S dot A-P-P slash ministry strong. Churches are full of hurting people, and pastors spend a lot of their time helping hurting people get better. But who is helping our pastoral leaders heal from their own hurts, anxieties, and struggles? When these hurts aren't healed, how do they affect their ministry? Right now, Media partnered with best-selling author and psychologist Dr. Henry Cloud to answer these questions. A Church That Heals is a free video series that Right Now Media designed to encourage church leaders in their own process of healing. Taught by Dr. Henry Cloud, a Church That Heals explores how spiritual growth and formation can lead to healing clinical issues, relational struggles, and professional discouragement. In this series, Dr. Cloud shares how leaders who are healed can better lead churches that heal. To access this free five-session video series, visit rightnowmedia.org slash ministrystar. That's rightnowmedia.org slash ministry strong. Yeah, this the that is the entire reason, Sky, for really this whole podcast is uh, my father was a pastor for, you know, my, my whole life. And I watched, I had a front row seat to someone. Of course, technology wasn't the thing then, but there were, there were plenty of other vices, <laughs> you know, and... I had a front row seat to watching him crash and burn in front of my in front of my eyes. Like I watched I watched a ministry leader crash and burn in my living room. So I know I know what that is. I know what that's like. And when he died, the Lord really spoke to my heart and said, "What are you going to do with all you know?" Hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, I know this isn't about more the knowledge that I have necessarily. It's not about like, okay, here's how tos. It's you've lived an experience. You're also now in ministry by the grace of God. Not really wasn't in my plans. It's just that I'm compelled by Jesus, and so it's the only reason I've stayed sane. At the same time, I, I knew that the thing that also hurt me was the thing that, that God used to heal me. And 
the experience of watching my father just compelled me to say the best way to use my life now is to help people in that position say talk about these things don't live in the dark don't live in secret and it's interesting sky that you took the position of of power because i wasn't necessarily thinking that but i think it's so good you brought that up in the sense of technology and that's why i didn't want to frame this at all because i wanted to hear your raw thoughts mine were escapism mine were sort of the hiding um element that i think technology provides right so the facade uh element that i mm-hmm. think technology can provide which i think ties into the power right but it's totally. like the, it's the facade the escapism the oh i can be whatever you want me to be and whatever you think i'll be because it's all about optics with social media in many ways it's perception it's a perception business and so it's it's like you know, I can be this person that you think I am with this family that you think I have with this. I can even be the best friend that you think I am when actually in person, I'm, a, I'm kind of a dud or whatever the case may be. I mean, how sure. many times have we been disappointed by somebody in ministry because maybe we're not all that cool or we're an introvert or whatever the case may be. So I think there is and that's not necessarily an integrity issue. I don't want to go that far, but it can go that far. Is yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, uh, let me go a step deeper, Lisa. I think yeah. I completely agree with what you're saying. We can hide with technology and, and put up a facade and, and a false persona. I think the greater threat, that as bad as that is, the greater threat is is the way technology allows us to hide from ourselves. Yes, yes. And so sure. um, there's this wonderful researcher named Sherry Turkle from MIT, and she's written a number of books and papers and done some TED Talks about the impact of technology. I don't believe she's a Christian. She may be, but her research is not explicitly framed that way. Yeah. But her, her big concern with technology is the way that it prevents us from in- experiencing any boredom. Mm. Uh, yeah. And the reason why that's important is when you're bored, when you're just in line at the grocery store or you're waiting for your kid to come out at school and you're sitting in the car, whatever it might be, when you're bored, the things that are inside of you start coming to the surface. Hmm. Your joys, your gratitudes, your anger, your fears, your your temptation, all that garbage that's in you starts coming to the surface and you become self-aware of what's in you. That then becomes the basic building blocks for intimacy you have something of real depth to you that you can now share with someone else. Sherry Turkle talks about how because a whole generation of young people now are addicted to their phones, they're never bored. They never deal with what's inside of them. Mm, And therefore, they are lacking the basic skill of developing intimate relationships with others. Mm. So where this all translates then to kind of our topic is I think it was Eugene Peterson who said the primary calling of a pastor is to help people pay attention to God. Hmm. And part of that means as a, as a leader in the church myself, I need to pay attention to God. Hmm. And the way I pay attention to God is the way the psalmist does. When you read the Psalms, you see the full spectrum of human divine relationship. You see joy and celebration, but you see anger and doubt and where are you, God, and how can this happen and you know what, everything. It's because... The psalmists and the the people behind those poems are being honest about what's really inside of them, and that is the basic building block of their intimacy with God. If I don't have that, if I don't know what's inside of me, 
I can't really develop a deep spiritual connection with my creator. Hmm. And if I'm not able to do that as a church leader, how am I going to lead other people in doing that? So for me, the great problem with technology is it short circuits our own self-knowledge, which then prevents us from building intimacy with others, but especially with God. And so communities, Christian communities that are all gung-ho about as much technology as humanly possible, and we want phones everywhere and screens everywhere and distractions everywhere, they are actively working against their very calling as people who are meant to commune deeply with God. Mm. Okay, you're going to think that I am literally psycho, but while <laughs> I'm not kidding you, you're not, you're not going to believe this, but we, while you were talking, uh, when, you, when you first started talking, I wrote down two names, Eugene Peterson and Brennan Manning because you so you were talking and I this came to my mind you know the uh, Eugene Peterson I mean love Eugene mm-hmm. Peterson on so many I mean I, I love his book of poetry which people is obscure and people don't even know probably much about and all these things but I was thinking about these two men who've had an impact on my life with their writing and I was thinking about the depth of their writing these were two guys who took some time and were kind of slower paced, at least in the last part of their life, probably because we get it more in the last part of our lives, right? right? We're like, get it more together. But I was thinking they had bandwidth, like to hear Mm. from God and to like, you know, pause and all that. And the depth of the writing showed it. And I think sometimes, you know, I mean, I guess because I'm a writer and I love the craft and reading has always been a part of my life and all these things, you know, and a lot of people will say in these times, you know, books are crap anymore or whatever the case may be but a lot of those guys and and women and just took they just paused more they took more time and i do think even the depth of how we communicate and influence and all of these things is worsened by our technology our commitment to technology right i mean i know when i i know sky when i take a break from social i take two breaks every year I, i have a commitment to two months out of the year to take a dedicated break from social. I don't do the schedule posting even. I like I go dark, right? Yeah. Not great for the algorithm, but I don't care. And it was interesting because I just had someone at an event that I host at my home before we have 40 people come. It's just a small thing. And um, she came up to me and she said, you know, I really appreciate the way that you, you do your social media breaks and you don't continue the posting. Like you just go dark. Because it models for me that we can do that and we don't lose, like, everything, right? Because right. there's this sort of belief that you have to keep posting or else you lose traction. And the truth is, I come back and, and I do lose traction, but I I don't lose my sanity mm-hmm. is the thing. So, anyway, not to get off on that because I have a million other things I want to <laughs> talk to you about. But I think this is a, a, an important point. You wrote something in the book that resonated with me. If Jesus was serious about the church, then authority should come from a leader's character, not their popularity. Now, I wrote a book back in 2013 called I Want God, and one of the chapters was called I Want God More Than Popularity, because I knew that was something that has to die in order for influence to arise, in mm. my in my opinion. True influence. Like, popularity has to be one of the things that you that you literally bury. Or else, it, at some point, it will compromise what you're willing to even talk about. 
my question to you is why is it not this way right now like what is it what is the reason that popularity hasn't died for us or the desire for it well if you by the us if you mean church leadership. leaders yeah church leadership yeah. well okay <laughs> depends how far you want to go down this rabbit hole <laughs> whatever um, you want to do so I hear, here's my best shot at it. I think we've done a very, very good job. At least I'm 46 years old. So in my lived experience in the American evangelical subculture, we have done a very good job of implicitly communicating to people that the way to be significant and to have a life that really matters is to be in ministry. Mm-hmm. And we, we draw people into ministry vocations, not because they're particularly gifted, not necessarily because they're particularly called, but because they're insecure and they want to be significant. And if that's what's driving a lot of us to enter ministry in the first place, and then the culture says the way to really be significant is to be popular, is to have a lot of followers, to have a big audience, well, there it is. I mean, it's, you can't avoid it. If, if what's driving this whole thing is to feel significant, and the culture says significance comes from popularity, then to be a significant ministry leader means I must be popular. It all gets packaged together. So the solution to all of that, of course, is bring people into ministry, not because you're telling them they'll be significant. It needs to come from a different source, a different um, core. That's not primarily a fear, but a love, a, a calling, an obedience. And that's not as effective, frankly. It's so much easier to tell young people, hey, you want to be really important in the world, come do things for Jesus and join yeah. you know, the church or the staff or the mission field or whatever it is your tradition says. And it's not, it's not often explicit, but it is implied a lot that if you do this, then you'll matter more than other people. And it's a very short step from that to, well, then I can matter even more if I'm popular. So we just don't talk about it much. We don't want to admit that that's a lot of what's driving a ministry in the, at least the American context. Mm. You know, I can support what you're saying because I've been to seminary. So I can tell you what, <laughs> when I was in seminary, <laughs> treading, treading carefully here, because listen, I mean, here's the thing. I, I, I don't know you, but I can already tell, and I know my own heart, not not here to bash systems or or to to get people to move away from anything they feel called to do i think hard conversations should either affirm callings right uh or 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 make you say what is what is it that i need to work out so that i am healthy right uh to lead people because this is my belief i i i i really believe that before you are able to lead a church or a ministry, you should have required counseling. You just mm-hmm. should. I don't know who would mandate that because here's the thing. Like like my father, you know, he comes out of, na- out of the Navy. He's got this really rough past. He is wildly gifted. He is doing what he knows to do. He goes to Bible college. He goes to seminary. And then he immediately gets a church because, man, he's got a gift. Right. So he starts leading, but he has no discipleship. He doesn't understand so many things. And as a result, he just, but he keeps growing ministries and growing ministries and growing ministries because he's, he's great mm-hmm. at what he does. And he's got charisma. 
Now I get this is a story of I bet hundreds of thousands of of leaders. Yep. And and then eventually it all catches up. And I I think if he if he had some counseling to be able to work through a lot of these things. And of course it was taboo back then in many ways, but here's what I'll say in the, in my own experience of being in seminary for a short stint, I noticed and I knew there were conversations. People had insecurity issues like crazy in seminary. Like there were jokes. There were, Mm -hmm. there were, you know, there were things that were said like, oh, you know, this is, this guy tried to, you know, be an optometrist and he couldn't be an optometrist. So he decided to go to seminary. I mean, these are the kinds of jokes that, that happen that we don't want to talk about. I, if I can share a story from my first semester yeah. in seminary, I was in a small class, there were, I don't know, 10 people in this classroom, and the first day the professor says to us, you'll go around, introduce yourself, tell us what program you're in and why you're here. And the first guy shares and says, um, so-and-so, I'm in the MDiv program, I'm here because my grandfather was a pastor, my father was a pastor, and I'm called to be a pastor too. And I'm thinking to myself, maybe, or he's got <laughs> daddy issues. <laughs> next person goes, and I we kid you not. We know too much. We know too much, this, guy. <laughs> the, the, the next guy says, I'm so-and-so, I'm in the MDiv program, and I'm here because God's calling me to be the next Bill Hybels. That was oh, the, dear. You know, and this was years and years ago before. Yeah. You know, and yeah. I'm like... Red you know, flag. The thought I had then was, Bill Hybels isn't dead yet. Like, we don't need another one. Like, he's, <laughs> he's still here. And then the next person goes, I'm so-and-so, I'm in the MDiv program. I'm here because my denomination requires me to get a seminary degree, but my church is growing so quickly, and we're going to be X number of thousands of people by such and such a date that I'm probably going to drop out because I won't have to finish. I mean, you could just kind of, the smugness. So it goes around the room, and everyone's answering this way, and it occurs to me, everyone in this room is completely crazy, except me. (laughs) So, but of course, then you have the realization, uh uh-oh. What's what am I not seeing in myself? Because right. there's there's got to be some you know warped insecurity, self perception issue, something that I'm not recognizing in myself, and it has taken me years yeah. and some counseling to get through some of that stuff and ask why am I doing what I'm doing and do I what insufficiency or fear or insecurity am I really trying to compensate for? And in, with, but that takes self-awareness. That takes time. It takes boredom. It takes contemplation. It takes really good friendship and a, and a really patient spouse. It takes community to do that kind of excavation and grow. And it's only the people who have been through that process have the wounds of that process, who are limping, not necessarily sprinting, who I trust to be my shepherd. Hmm. And it's very rare to find that in a 30-year-old. I'm not saying it's impossible, but elders are called elders for a reason because they're supposed to be old, right? That is exactly right. Yes. And I just think we've created such a professionalization and a celebrity uh, structure around ministry that celebrates someone's gifting rather than the gravity of their soul. And we think, wow, that person's great on a stage, but we never look behind the curtain and go, what does their most intimate relationships really look like? Mm. What does their communion with Christ really look like? Like That's the stuff I want to see in somebody who I entrust to shepherd me and those I love toward faith and good works. 
As a leader, do you ever feel like there's not enough of you to go around? Maybe you feel alone or that you're too busy helping others to tend to your own needs. Do you ever wonder who you should talk to about your life? If so, I want to tell you about Anchored Hope and the excellent counseling available to you today. Anchored Hope brings care and counseling to ministry leaders like you, as well as the people you serve. They offer convenient and confidential virtual counseling with professionally trained and theologically educated counselors. Choose a counselor based on a specific issue or contact the Anchored Hope team to ask for a recommendation based on your needs or partner with them as a ministry and utilize their services as a helpful extension of your team. As a shepherd and leader, you have to have a place you can trust for your own help and healing. To explore counselors and schedule your first session, visit anchoredhope.co. If you use code MINISTRYSTRONG at sign up, you'll get 10% off all your sessions through 2023. Again, that's anchoredhope.co. And don't forget to use code MINISTRYSTRONG when you register. Who doesn't love free resources? My friends at Women of Welcome are offering something I especially love, free Bible study resources. These studies are beautiful, simple, and can be done individually or with your small group. One of the things I love about Women of Welcome is how they connect the conversation about immigration to the broader pro-life conversation, connecting all the dots to help folks attach confidence to their compassion in the immigrant and refugee space. This makes them an especially important resource for ministry leaders. If you've never heard of Women of Welcome, I can personally give testimony to their heart for the gospel as I've gone on an immersion trip with them down to the southern border. And it was not only a beautiful experience, but one that has helped me better understand how to lead people in the immigrant and refugee conversation. Women of Welcome believes that God calls us to a deep love for the vulnerable, the marginalized, and the forgotten. They are an incredible resource because they help you understand biblical hospitality in a fresh and authentic way. You may not be able to go on an immersion trip like I did, but if you are interested in learning more, a great starting point is Women of Welcome's Christ-like Welcome Study, which you can download for free today. Spend five weeks in the Word exploring the complicated and beautiful welcome of Jesus toward His most beloved creation, human beings. To download your free copy of the Christlike Welcome Study, visit womenofwelcome.com slash ministry strong. That's womenofwelcome.com slash ministry strong for your free Bible study. You know, your next Bill Hybels is for, for a female, it was next Beth Moore. Right. So, you know, because I've. I remember, I remember in particular this, uh, there was one, one friend of mine who loved to teach the Bible, had a gift and over lunch, I want to be the next Beth Moore. And I remember thinking to myself, what does that even mean? Like what actually does, I knew what it, I knew what she meant, but I thought to myself, that is the oddest way (laughs) to describe what you feel called to do, you know, like that is that is the strangest thing because, mm-hmm. but 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 I think it is a, um, but obviously it's something that's 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 echoed a lot, and I I think it's it's not abnormal, but but very very interesting. Speaking of behind the curtain, you were just talking about this when everything is optics, 
with social media. I don't want to say everything, but lots of things are, are optics with social media. Lots of things are filtered, social media, all of that. How do we know someone does or doesn't have character? I guess what I'm trying to say is, do we need to deal with this integrity on a very personal basis rather than make big judgment calls about leadership and integrity from afar? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. That This is a, an odd example, but I, I heard this history podcast some time ago and it was talking about the origin of credit scores. Where did that whole idea come from that you could get my social security number and look up my credit score? Well, it was invented after the telegraph. Before the telegraph, if I needed money to go do something, start a business, buy a car, loan, whatever, I would go to my local bank in my local community and that banker knew me and everyone else in the community knew me and that banker would know, oh, you know, Sky's a raging alcoholic. I probably shouldn't give him a loan or Sky's an upstanding elder at his church and, you know, pays back his debts and I'm, of course, give him the loan. Well, once the telegraph was invented, suddenly people could communicate beyond the reach of their personal relationships hmm. and businesses could start partnering and uh, transacting across state lines, across towns, great distances, and suddenly you didn't know if that person you're transacting with could be trusted. So how do we know if you can be trusted? Well, somebody invents this idea of the credit score, and it became a numerical way of determining someone's character. And that's kind of where we are in the church today. It used to be, I wouldn't trust a I would trust myself and my family or others to the care of a leader because I knew that man or woman to be a person of integrity, of character, of godliness. Well, we've so professionalized the church now that in many, many churches in America, people don't know their pastor. Yeah. All they know is is that face on a screen. Even if they're in the same room, there's thousands of people there. They don't know the pastor. They have no idea who that person is. Right. So what do you base your judgment of should I follow this person on? Well, how many other people are following them? If 10,000 people are following them, well, they can't all be wrong, so I guess that's safe. I'll, I'll, I'll follow them too. That's a terrible way to gauge whether or not you have a good shepherd. And it, the wisdom here is so simple, and Jesus spoke about it beautifully in John 10. The sheep know their shepherd. They know his voice. They follow him. That's what ministry is supposed to be. I cannot possibly know somebody on social media, whether or not they have integrity, whether or not they exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. I can tell if they don't pretty quickly, if they really are nasty and angry and yeah. full of vitriol, but I can't really know yeah. without being in actual relationship with them. And so the, the best advice I have is give your time and energy and, and spiritual capital to leaders whom you know. Whether or not they have the title pastor, whether or not they have the title elder, you probably have women and men in your life who smell like Jesus. Let them be your shepherd and give more of your energy to those relationships than you do to the anonymous ones online or in social media, even through a podcast that may be helpful and good, but they can't be your shepherd. Yeah. And I don't know any other way to do it. Mm. The people in your life that you know that are, are those folks, right, that smell like Jesus to you, past, present, whatever. Are there any crossover habits that you've seen in them? Oh, absolutely. Um, 
one is there are people who are not in a hurry. Mm. Uh, John Mark Comer's written a beautiful book about yep. this. Um, mm, so Dallas, Dallas Willard talked about it, but that's a quality I've noticed in quite a few of them. They're, they're just not in a rush. Um, there's, a, there's a tranquility about them. Not always. I mean, no one's perfect, but generally they're not striving to achieve more and more and more. Um, another quality is they listen really well. Mm. They don't have to dominate the conversation. They're not always just looking at one. Can I get my quip in? They listen and they ask really good questions. Um, the, the, I, they're generally curious people about the world, about you, about what like they they genuinely want to know about those around them. It's it's what Paul said. You know, consider others better than yourself. Yeah. Take on the very mind of Christ. So that's another quality. Um, I could go on and on. Different ones, I think. I, I, ever since I was a college student, I've been very blessed to notice people in my life who have qualities that I envy, and then I've been fortunate enough to latch on to some of them. And be, like when I was a college student, I knew, there was this older gentleman I knew uh, named Nick, and he, he was just a person of prayer. He, he mm. lived that, he dripped out of him, and I've, I basically essentially went to him and said, hey, I recognize this in you. I don't know what that is. I don't have that. I want that. Can you teach me? And he did. And I've had different people like that throughout my life where they just have certain qualities that I envy in a, in a sort of godly way. And sometimes you just have to be bold enough to say, I, I need to learn from you. And generally those people are humble enough to go, yeah, okay, let me, let me show you the way a little bit. Um, yeah. But yeah, we could talk all day about some of those qualities, and but th- those the ones not hurrying and the truly inquisitive are rare today. So those are the ones that come to the front of my mind. Yeah, and I think even that question, "Can you teach me?" That the humility to be willing to ask for help, for guidance, for mentorship, to even the spirit to even say, "I don't know everything." I don't know. There's just something about that that I think is the quality of somebody who generally has integrity. Like, um, clearly, always not across the board. There's never anything across the board. But someone who who doesn't want to learn. I think a spirit of learning, to me, is, um, and that's a curiosity. Obviously, those go hand in hand. But right. to even take that a step further, and, you know, we can want to learn by reading books, but, like, to ask someone, mm-hmm. <laughs> to have to humbly go ask someone, can you help me? Can you teach me? You know, that, I don't know. There's something about that. I love that so much. Scott, it's been amazing to talk to you. I just have one more question that I'd love for you to, to share with us your wisdom on. What can we do as leaders to to take Jesus more seriously and the kingdom of God, what he, what he is all about? Here's a practice that I've found really formative for me. Um, there's some evidence that the Gospels were written quite intentionally to transport the imagination of the readers into the scenes as they unfold with Jesus. And part of that is linguistic. So in, in the original Greek, most of the verbs in the, in the Gospels are present tense, even though in English they're translated into past tense. So, for example, your English Bible might say, uh, Jesus went to Jerusalem. In Greek, it actually says Jesus goes to Jerusalem. And part of that is a, a technique that was used in ancient Greek literature to transport the reader into the present 
scene with Jesus. Uh, all that to say, I think if we engaged some of those stories of the Gospels and imaginatively entered into them, putting yourself into the scene as a character or different characters as you meditate on those things, I think it would probably illuminate for you the the gravity of what Jesus said and did in a way that's different when we simply stand over the text and try to figure out how am I going to teach this on Sunday. So marinating in those stories, living in those stories, meditating on them in, in a way that you're embedded in them, I think that will go a long way in striking us, especially those who are familiar with the Bible, because we teach it all the time, in a way that I have found really formative and helps me take Jesus more seriously and what he's really calling us to. And it, in another way, it also deconstructs the messages that I've inherited from the media and the culture around me that is in competition with that of Jesus. So that imaginative component for me has been a big factor. And I, I think more leaders who do that will be shocked at what they discover. Mm, I love that. So good. Yeah, I appreciate you. And I thank you so much for helping inform on this just really crucial topic of integrity and, and talking about this with me in such a way that, you know, as leaders, I think sometimes these these conversations about things like integrity can become super status quo and we can be bored with them because we think, oh, I know integrity, integrity. But, um, you know, the pieces that go into that are they're just they just should never get old and um we should be revisiting this because as we know from culture and in our own churches and in our ministries um the implosions happen and they take a lot of people down with them so thanks again for coming on thank you lisa delightful to be with you Ministry Strong is a production of Ivy Media Podcasts, produced and edited by Angie Elkins. Artwork by Caleb Peavy and Noel Rhodes. Original music by Robert Elkins. A special thanks to my Ministry Strong team. Thank you for your dedication and hard work. Your hosts of Season 1 are Lisa Whittle and Dr. Joel Matamale. Thanks so much for listening. Let's get strong in him. <laughs>